Hey everyone, this is Craig Horlbeck from the Ringer Fantasy Football Show. Join me, Danny Heifetz, and Danny Kelly every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday to help you win your draft, win your league, and most importantly, avoid that last place punishment. Follow the Ringer Fantasy Football Show on Spotify. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. From your morning podcast to your fantasy team, we know you personalize your entire day. That's why State Farm helps you personalize your insurance with State Farm Personal Price Plan. It offers coverage options that help protect what you care about most at an affordable price just for you. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices may vary by state. Options selected by customer, availability, and eligibility may vary. This episode is brought to you by Crown Royal. This NBA season, Crown Royal is celebrating the loyal fans that show up for every tip-off and also celebrating the people who drink Crown Royal during games. I know I like to have some around whenever I'm taking in a basketball game, an NBA game. Always good to have around. And Crown Royal believes if you live generously, life will treat you royally. Visit crownroyal.com to get ready for tip-off. Please drink responsibly. Welcome to Dual Threat. I'm Norm Picciotti. And I'm Stephen Ruiz. And it is almost week 18. I suppose it's week 18 already. And the last games that will decide the playoff picture are about to be played in just a few days. We're going to talk today about who's got the most at stake. Just to set the scene, in the AFC, four teams have clinched playoff spots. That's the Ravens, the Dolphins, the Chiefs, and the Browns. There are three spots remaining up for grabs. That's the Bills, the Texans, the Colts, the Jaguars, and the Steelers, who are the five teams in the running for those three spots. And then in the NFC, five teams have clinched. The 49ers, Lions, Cowboys, Rams, and Eagles are in. Two spots are still up for grabs. Falcons, Packers, Vikings, Saints, Bucks, and Seahawks are still fighting it out for those last two spots. So only two of those six are going to end up in the ultimate playoff picture. Obviously, there's also seating that is up for grabs in week 18 as well, some of the draft stuff. So we thought that we would each bring a list of five teams, coaches, players, whatever, uh, entities who have a lot on the line. and. We are not necessarily ranking them, but we're just going to go through, share our lists, and talk about who's got the biggest of the big games coming up on Saturday or Sunday. So, Stephen, do you want to start and and give your first team, player, whatever, with a lot at stake in Week 18? Yeah, I'm going to start with the biggest game of the week. That's Dolphins-Bills. And my pick is Tua Tagovailoa. I think more so than even the Dolphins or the Bills who who could miss the playoffs if they lose this game and the Steelers win. I think he has the most at stake in terms of like contract negotiations in the offseason. I think one of the big narratives with him has been his performance in big games and in big spots. And even before Mike McDaniel got there, he played two late season games with the playoffs on the line and he, he laid eggs in both of those performances. So I think this is a, a big one for him I think he checked one box off this season by being able to stay healthy all 17 games, which is something that I don't think either of us was predicting with any confidence before the season. I think that's going to go a big way in him getting a bigger contract from Miami this offseason. But I also think he needs to win one of these games. He needs to win one of these big games with playoff implications on the line and, and going up against another quarterback who makes the type of money that Tua is going to want to make in the offseason in Josh Allen. Like beating the Cowboys at home I think was a big step for him, but this is the game. If he loses this one, I, I think all of the goodwill he got from that performance just completely goes out the window. And then if he follows that up with like a no-show in the playoffs, I think the conversation goes from how much money are the Dolphins going to commit to him to are the Dolphins even going to commit to him? So a silver lining, if you can call it that, if we're talking about how to, uh, in order to get there and to get the Dolphins there, is going to have to have a statement game against one of the quarterbacks who he sort of wants to to belong in the same tier with. And this is why this game is is definitely on my list as well. Uh, the winner of Bill's Dolphins is going to wind up with a two seed and is probably going to play the, the second place AFC South team at home. Depending on who that is, that could be a... a an interesting matchup. You know, I think the Texans, especially with CJ Stroud, they're not the team they were at the 
be uh, middle of the year when they had, you know, Nico Collins were a more complete team. But still, Stroud does seem special. You can you can get into the to a matchup like that. I don't think it's going to be a total cupcake walk. However, you feel pretty good there, right? The number six seed, the loser of this game, has to go on the road to play the Chiefs. So if you're two on, I said there was a silver lining. I suppose you could say that he'll have two bites at the apple, uh, but neither of them looks particularly appetizing because, you know, I've been off the Chiefs for quite some time. I don't think they can win the Super Bowl. I think that is completely detached and different from whether or not they're going to terrify the loser of this game. Uh, Both quarterbacks who have some baggage wrapped up in playing big games against Patrick Mahomes and big games against the Chiefs. Uh, Do you think, like, if they, I mean, if the Dolphins were to lose this game and then they went and had a big win against the Chiefs and, and Tua looked really good and played well against that Chiefs defense, which I do think would be meaningful and also sort of narrative-wise, I think the the matchup against Mahomes would get a lot of attention. I suppose that would probably, that would count too. It just doesn't seem particularly likely. So I agree with you. That's a tough, it's a tough setup either way. Uh, I chose this game. I just, I just put, I put the, the loser has the most, you know, this this matchup has the most at stake just because I think it's not just the seating implications almost couldn't be more challenging for whoever ends up on the losing end of this game because it could be a pretty close game. I think these teams are pretty evenly matched, but you really, really, really want to win this one because I would much rather be more than in other circumstances in the position of uh, the two seed versus the six seed given the Kansas City factor. Yeah, but if I'm Buffalo, I feel a little bit more comfortable going into that environment, which they've won in before plenty of times, and they've like flat out outplayed the Chiefs in that uh, stadium. I would be more comfortable. I, th- I feel like if the Dolphins go there, that's a bad matchup in a bad environment and maybe bad weather, which I think would disrupt their offense. I, I don't know. That would be rough for them. I think it's it's more of a death sentence for Miami than the Bills who, like, I think the Bills are a better team on paper than the Chiefs are. I think that that's the same for the Dolphins, but I would pick the Chiefs in that game. And I, I don't know if I would pick the Chiefs against Buffalo if they played. Yeah, I probably wouldn't. And Buffalo, you are right. There's something about Buffalo where they're sort of better if they're left for dead. Mm-hmm. in some ways like it doesn't matter <laughs> what what influences the bills on a day-to-day basis is like between between Josh Allen and God like it's it's not about <laughs> where no. you are it's not about like going to Kansas they don't care about going to I think they do care about it a little bit just because of the history but they don't care about weather or situation or stuff like that it's right it's, uh so I think you're right. I think we can say that the Dolphins and Tua specifically. Imagine being Tua. You're starting your first playoff game ever and you have a choice. Spags on the road or a Gus Bradley defense at home. <laughs> I know which one I'm taking. Yeah, I think that's fair. Uh, <laughs> I think he would too. But uh, unfortunately, that's not how I would pick it to work out. I, You had had a little bit of faith in in Miami in this matchup. Are you still feeling that way? or? Sounds like um, maybe softening a little bit on on two and the Dolphins. Anything there? I think I'm softening a little bit after watching the tape from the the Ravens game. And I wrote about the Dolphins this week, and that created more questions than answers for me. Especially with Tua's performance, it tends to get worse over time. Like at any level you look at it, like over the course of a season, he's better in September than he is December. Even if you like take out away mu- uh, away games, so it's not like bad weather confounding the results the Dolphins get worse over time, like from September to December. If you look at within games, like from the first quarter to the fourth quarter, his numbers go down. If you look at it, like on the snap level, when he throws it early, he's one of the best quarterbacks in the league. When he holds onto the ball, he's one of the worst quarterbacks in the league. I think that's that's what concerns me. And I think Buffalo is the a team that has seen them enough and knows like what spots they like to get to. They don't have, they're not going to have to have that like feeling out process we talked about with Baltimore when we saw them have success on the opening script. I don't know if that's going to 
be the same situation when Buffalo plays them. That's what has me worried. I think, I think like Miami's defense will have a chance against Buffalo's offense. Worried about the other side of the ball. I think that familiarity is going to be a really interesting factor. And it's still the, the opening script is still a factor, right? And like what Mike McDaniel can do there is a different factor than has Buffalo's defense adjusted to Miami's overall tempo and just the speed with which their offense operates. Those are separate factors. They might be a little bit hard to to separate out in terms of what we're watching. But the first drive when the Dolphins have the ball is going to be really interesting just because this Bills defense does have so much familiarity with them. And it seems like something that can really hurt Miami. All right. So I had Bill's Dolphins. Um, I had the Dolphins on my list as well, but I'll give you the one that I put first. Um, and, you know, the stakes for NFL owners tend to be pretty low. They're, uh, they're up, up on high. But I put Robert Kraft on the list because I think he's in a really interesting position going into week 18 because right now uh, the commanders are still in possession of the number two overall draft spot. But if the Patriots lose to the Jets, even if the Commanders lose to the Cowboys, there is a pretty good chance that the strength of schedule still flips in favor of New England and New England ends up with the number two pick in the draft. The interesting thing there is that, okay, Commanders, Cowboys, the Cowboys still have something to play for. Uh, I don't think Washington's got a very good chance of winning that game. On the other hand, the Patriots are playing the Jets. And you've got Bill Belichick, who is coaching a team that has every incentive to not win the game. But Bill Belichick might not be the coach of the team next year. I don't think he's going to be. And Bill Belichick hates the Jets. You think Bill Belichick is going to help the Patriots out, throw the Patriots a bone by helping them lose to the New York Jets as a lame duck coach so that they can draft Drake May and maybe be more likely to win a bunch of games without him instead of saying, like, congratulations, here's Marvin Harrison Jr. Like, wouldn't it be nice if you had a quarterback to throw to him? But see you later. I'm going to go coach the Chargers. I don't think he's going to do it. And I mean, I don't know what Robert Kraft can do about it. But if there's any way to navigate that situation, to try to find some way to to telegraph or, and you know, he can't outright say it, right? Because that's tanking and that's illegal. But whatever, uh, you know, manifestation or uh, uh, like hope beyond hope or spidey signaling that he can do to try to get everybody on the same page here is going to have a massive impact on the future of the Patriots organization. Um, and there's obviously some, some variability in terms of other former opponents' results in Week 18 could influence the strength of schedule either way because it is literally so razor thin. But the fact that a really significant outcome for New England for the future is uh, significantly dependent on Bill Belichick being able to do the thing that would help a team that he's probably not going to be coaching and would also require him to lose to the New York Jets on purpose or like a little bit on purpose is not a position I would want to be in. So I would say that the stakes of that are pretty high. Yeah, I, I would say for like the entire league, because I, I have a question for you. In your opinion, does New England locking down the second pick and presumably a chance to draft Drake May, maybe it's Caleb Williams, but a chance at that one of those blue chip quarterbacks, does that increase Belichick's chances of, of coming back next year or does that decrease the chances of, of him coming back next year? Oh, I think, I mean, I think he's not coming back next year, kind of point blank. Um, I suppose, 
that has to change something. I feel like that changes yeah, the direction so of like, the franchise over the next couple of years. Here's the thing is that like, I think the argument, the argument works against him both ways because this clearly isn't working. But also based on what's happened and based on how he has coached this team, which is young and mistake prone in a lot of ways, the last thing I want to do is have this guy be entrusted with a young potential franchise quarterback. Now, it's going to be apples to oranges with Mac Jones, right? Because some of that had to do with the player that they drafted. But I really do think that the way that Belichick has coached this year has shown how his impatience with players who have a lot to learn is really detrimental to development. So I would just, I, I guess I'm saying that if you do get a blue chip quarterback prospect, I think that means you have to start over with a new coach just because that asset is too valuable to play, to, to sort of play with fire with. Whereas if they don't get one of the top two picks, don't get the number two pick, who knows what you're doing next year, right? Like, is it a bridge guy? Is it something weird and funky? And then maybe you're trying to win defensively and the defensive results have been better towards the end of the season. And I suppose maybe you make the argument that, you know, it's not a whole refresh. So maybe you're just giving him one more year, essentially. So I guess that's the scenario in which I think it's more likely he keeps the job. Whereas if you're drafting a, a young quarterback, you do a whole franchise reset. But it's I, I don't think he's sticking around either way. No. Yeah. I, I think if you asked me this like five weeks ago after they lost to the Chargers six to nothing, I would say that them getting that pick would increase the chances that he leaves. Because I, I, I would agree. I wouldn't want him around a young team that needs to be developed. But I do think over the last couple of weeks, you've kind of seen the payoff for the growing pains they went through over the first couple of months. Like they, those young players are starting to contribute to wins. And I think the last month kind of shows that Mac Jones maybe played a bigger role in the, uh, the regression of the offense than we'd like to give him credit for. I think Matt Patricia has gotten a lot of that blame. And this year, nothing has changed. And Bailey Zappi looks better than Mac Jones for a second straight year. So I don't know. I think that changes the conversation a little bit the last four weeks. I don't think it's enough, but I hear you. Mm -hmm. All right. Do you want to do a second one since Bill's Dolphins is on my list as well? Yeah, my game is kind of related to that. And that's Washington, Dallas. And I know like we kind of... Uh, dismiss the idea that Washington could win this game because Dallas is motivated. But I will remind you, last year, at the end of the year, Dallas looked just as good as they did this year, and Washington looked just as bad, and they were in the same spot late in the year, and we saw the worst performance out of Dallas's offense. And we know that on the road, they are liable to lay an egg. And this game like has the most ramifications because it not only affects the draft order, but it, it affects the seeding order in the NFC. I think it dictates matchups are it's going to dictate the matchup in the NFC title game because the team that loses this game let's let's presume they win their wild card game get San Francisco and i right. think which whichever of these teams gets San Francisco loses the washington thing is so it, it's really it's this is an interesting matchup because especially in the case of Dallas I do still think there's a, you know, this has been my conspiracy theory, but I do still think that there's a, there's an outside chance that Mike McCarthy gets fired if the Cowboys just absolutely crash and burn. And the, the obviously more relevant piece of that is in the playoffs. But if they lose this game, that makes the road all that more challenging and more likely that they absolutely flame out. And the funny thing is that, again, this is sort of my conspiracy theory, but it comes back around to the Patriots angle because I just think that there is some world in which Jerry Jones gets an idea that he can get Bill Belichick, who's the type of just like big old school name that Jerry Jones is just crazy enough to, to fall in love with. And the last month of the Patriots season does make it easier to sell it. And then all of a sudden... 
we're in this crazy world where the Cowboys have lost in week 18, gotten booted in the first round of the playoffs. McCarthy gets fired. Belichick gets fired. All of a sudden, Bill Belichick is the head coach of the Dallas Cowboys. Like, chaos reigns. Uh, And that's not to mention the implications for the draft pick, which obviously we talked about. Um, (laughs) The commanders have a lot to lose if this goes haywire. Because the Patriots, if you drop a young, promising quarterback into that team, and, you know, it's probably Drake May. You're right to point out. Could be Caleb Williams. Suppose it could be someone else, but probably not. If the player, whoever it is, ends up being similar to what teams hope, New England is an okay landing spot, I think, just because the defense is good. But in terms of the offensive talent overall, it's not a great offensive line. The skill position is group is probably not as bad as as we act like they are, but it's still not great. Whereas Washington. There's some good players there. And, you know, it's a it's a, a long, tortured franchise, but you did just have this sort of whole reset with the end of the Snyder era. There's probably an opportunity um, that it seems like they're going to take to choose whatever coach they would want to shepherd the era with the young quarterback, whoever he is in there. Um, but they could still blow it by, by winning in, in week 18. And then all of a sudden it's like, Oh, you have some good receivers, but how about another one? Or, or how about another defensive lineman? You guys love those in the draft. And it's just like, you should normally feel so excited about getting to draft a player like that. And it would be so deflating and sad. I will say this though. I I think the same situation applies to Washington that applies to new England, where you have a coach who might want to win out of spite. Cause I think Ron Rivera reads the writing on the wall, like with the Sam Howell benching or whatever it is. I don't know what you want to call it on again, off again. I think that (laughs) ended any chance he had of getting the job next year. And now I question whether Eric Bieniemy, who presumably was next in line for that job when Rivera retired, I don't know if he's going to be in line for that job either. He might have At to fight for that job Bien-Ami, now. At least with Bieniemy, though, there is like he's definitely a contender for it. So, <laughs> I mean, again, you're not allowed to go into the meeting and say we're going to lose the game, but like it's harder <laughs> for there to be a wink, wink. What if we just sat the starters at halftime? Um, well, the, that's the, that's not... the beauty of that's the beauty of Washington is that their who their are the starters? Worst, right, their worst quarterback is the one starting the game every week, so works backwards for them. I don't know. I think there's a chance that they if, let, let's say they pull off the upset like they did last year. Let me remind you, this same situation this happened, happened last year. I don't think it's like a conspiracy or or tinfoil hat thing to suggest that Jerry Jones would think about firing Mike McCarthy. Like if he looks at the the situation this year with the Eagles, it it was a worst case scenario with the Eagles. Uh, They regressed in places they couldn't regress in. And and if they still end up winning the division, I look at Mike McCarthy and I'm like, I gave you everything. Like this team I gave you is just as talented as the team in Philadelphia. This their coaching staff did not do a good job in Philadelphia this year as evidenced yeah. by them switching to Matt Patricia. And then, uh, and Brian Johnson is, has been the villain in that in Philadelphia this year. I think he looks at the the coaching job and says, this was not good enough and moves on, especially if Belichick is out, is out there. This episode is brought to you by Crown Royal. This NBA season, Crown Royal is celebrating the loyal fans that show up for every tip-off and also celebrating the people who drink Crown Royal during games. I know I like to have some around whenever I'm taking in a basketball game, an NBA game. Always good to have around. And Crown Royal believes if you live generously, life will treat you royally. Visit crownroyal.com to get ready for tip-off. Please drink responsibly. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. From your morning podcast to your fantasy team, we know you personalize your entire day. That's why State Farm helps you personalize your insurance with State Farm Personal Price Plan. It offers coverage options that help protect what you care about most at an affordable price just for you. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices may vary by state. Options selected by customer availability and eligibility may vary. This episode is brought to you by Empower. 
you got money questions like, can I retire early? What are my best savings options? Can I afford to pay for my kid's education? Luckily, Empower has all the answers. With Empower's real-time dashboard and real live conversations, you get clarity on your real-life financial goals. So join 18 million Americans and Empower What's Next. Start today at Empower.com. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. Sponsored by Empower, not an endorsement or a statement of satisfaction by a client. This episode is brought to you by UGG. Y'all know UGG is a brand that athletes wear all the time in the tunnel and on travel days. Well, I bet you think UGG season is only during the colder months of the year. Oh, contraire. You're wrong. You need to check out the latest spring drop from UGG. They have everything from sandals to clogs. I like the sandals. UGG has you covered for your next spring adventure. Shop the golden collection at UGG.com. I mean, can you imagine that day on the internet and on all the shows? Just the takes would be absolutely flying. I'm almost a little bit afraid of it. Uh, why don't I add, in that case, let's let's add McCarthy to the mix. For my next one, I, I'm going to give you three names. Okay. And you tell me who you think has the most to lose. So let's make McCarthy the first one. The second one, I'll give you Doug Peterson. So the Jags are are winning in against the Titans, but Trevor Lawrence is banged up. He did practice on Wednesday, but he's got a shoulder injury. He's got a finger injury. If the Jaguars lose, I think there are some... No, if, if they lose, they're out. And they'll finish 9-8, and eight, miss the playoffs. And that'll have been with not a perfectly healthy team, but not with a team that's dealt with like a completely outsized amount of injuries relative to some of the other teams that have managed to keep going. And that'll be two years after they spent $150 million guaranteed in free agency to build the team that was sort of like, this is the last version where we get to take advantage of the Trevor Lawrence rookie contract. He's probably going to get an extension this offseason now that he'll be eligible for it. And the days of him being cheap are, they've got one more year of it, basically. But it's it's ending. And this year has not been inspiring, but that is a 50-plus million dollar a year quarterback. And if you're looking at the results under Doug Peterson, who did an absolutely bang-up job salvaging the wreckage of the Urban Meyer era. It's it's leaving a lot to be desired. So, Doug Peterson, if the Jaguars lose and miss the playoffs. The other one is Nick Sirianni. If the Eagles just like really flame out in some way, right? We're coming off a week where there's this big story about A.J. Brown has to insist that he's not mad at Nick Sirianni and he's not yelling about the play calling. He's just upset about the results. But if the Eagles lose to the Giants, let's say, and I and it sounds sounds maybe a little far fetched, but I'm not so sure it is. They are a more aggressive offensive team with Terod Taylor in there, and this Eagles defense cannot stop anyone. The Giants defense just gave Matt Stafford and the Rams some some trouble. I don't think it's out of the question. Philly would head into the playoffs as the five seed. They'd play the NFC South winner at home. Then you end the season just getting torched by Baker Mayfield. Like, uh, I don't feel good about who's coaching the team in that situation. Um, so McCarthy, Peterson, Sirianni. Who do you think is the most vulnerable of those three to just an absolute flame out? Whatever that looks like in the, the various situations. I, I would say Sirianni. I, I think that's the most realistic one compared between him and Mike McCarthy. I think you have the wrong name if Jacksonville loses. I don't think it falls on Doug Peterson. I think it falls on Trent Balky because he was the one holdover from the Urban Meyer era. And then, honestly, just look at his finger. He has a ring on his finger. And Sirianni doesn't. And I think that separates those two. And the, the Jaguars are a desperate franchise with no Super Bowl titles. I think that makes a difference, too. I think when you have Super Bowl... 
titles in your recent history, it's easier to move on from a coach who has had success, as evidenced by Philadelphia quickly moving on from Doug Peterson as soon as that went south. Sure. So I, I would say Sirianni, and I think that's a discussion worth having, especially, I, I, I just don't think you can ignore the success that his former coordinators are having elsewhere, including Gannon, who just beat him and outcoached him at home in a big right. spot in a game they needed to win that a lot of people were watching. That's a, right. that's a tough look. So you think Sirianni and then who would be number two? I agree with your point about Trent Balky. I just think Trent Balky is like, like the world will end in fire and <laughs> fury and it's going to be like Trent Balky and the cockroaches just like scampering around there. I, I just, I, somehow he manages. I don't know. If, if I lose that game and I'm Doug Peterson, I'm slipping a photo of Urban Meyer and Trent Balky together under the uh, the door of the owner. I'm just saying, remember, these guys used to work together. I'm the one that had to come in and save this thing, not these guys. Right, right. That's what I would do. I don't know. But I, like, if and the Cowboys lose... photo of him holding the Lombardi trophy, maybe, just like... That's right. That's and right. also as a gentle reminder. With Nick Foles, who who didn't work out in Jacksonville. Uh, but if if the Cowboys lose, McCarthy's the answer, right? I just don't think they're going to lose. But if he if they lose... Jerry Jones will lose his mind. Right. And, right. and that's a mind that he's lost many times. The only other one, this is sort of, di- I almost included Matt Eberflus on the list, but it's, that's like the inverse where he was, he was gone. And then the last month or so makes you start to think like, Oh, is, is he making a sort of a case that maybe it's, maybe he's coaching him up. Maybe it's not so bad, but that's sort of the, I mean, first of all, they've already locked up the number one pick, the results, um, at least in terms of objective meaning, do not matter. And he's more, it's, I think it's, I think it's still his job to regain as opposed to some of these other guys who, if it goes really bad, they could lose it. But I think his situation is sort of the inverse. That was another game on my list, so we can move on to that one if you want. Because I think, like, right, yeah. for, for Jordan Love, I think this is a huge game. I think totally. he gets the he has the job next year locked down, no matter what. But I think if he wins this game and they make the playoffs and he ends the season like he ended it, it goes from oh he's the starter next year to okay it's time to pay me now because yeah. I only have one year left on my deal and it's not a good deal right now for me. I think it's going to get tense in the offseason because it's going to be hard to give him a lot of money, but it's also going to be hard to let him walk because we see the talent on tape. And then if he has the results to back it up, the playoff uh, appearance, it gets tough. Well, so it gets extra tricky for for Green Bay. Um, And I had Jordan Love on my list as well because either way, or not either way, but in a lot of situations, if the Packers win this game against the Bears because they're they're winning in for the playoffs. He's going to make a lot of money based off of this because, first of all, he has several million dollars worth in escalators in his contract that are contingent on making the playoffs. Um, and if he does, then there's opportunities for even more and, and all of that. So even this one win would be very beneficial to him financially. But second of all, and I think this is the big bigger piece of it, like you said, if he really proves himself in this spot and if the Packers go out on a high note and, you know, they get to feel they get to feel good about they made the playoffs and Aaron Rodgers didn't and blah, 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 and all of that stuff. He definitely is going to need a new new deal this offseason so that he doesn't go into basically a, a lame duck year. But the problem for Green Bay is they can't they can't touch it until May. Because there's a rule that you can't do two extensions within 12 months. And so there's a solid chance that that means guys like Baker Mayfield and Kirk Cousins are going to change teams or have newly structured deals that set precedents that would help Jordan Love before the Packers have an opportunity to do anything. So... The absolute bottom, I think, that we're talking about here is is like a Daniel Jones type situation, maybe something shorter term. But 
if Daniel Jones is getting four years and $160 million, I think you have to talk about Jordan Love getting something, maybe not that length, but at that type of scale, especially when there's going to be a Baker deal somewhere, a Kirk situation somewhere. And those, those are probably going to be deals that push an arrow that's relevant to Jordan Love up. So in, I don't think, I'm not of the opinion that this is really that tricky for the Packers. I think he has looked good enough that, you know, maybe you try in the negotiation to avoid doing something like the four-year deal that the the Giants did with Daniel Jones. You try to make it a little bit shorter term. But I think you have to really like what you've seen from Jordan Love and feel confident and convicted that you can sign this guy to a pretty decent extension. But the numbers are going to be bigger than we think they're going to be. And part of that's because Love's done a really good job. But also part of that is just because the specific situation he's in is going to be one where there's a lot of things that he can point to that his agents can point to and say, well, this guy already got this, so I should get this. And um, I just wonder if people are going to end up being surprised by it, even though I think he's totally earned it. One of those quarterbacks who could be getting a deal and like kind of pushing negotiations for love is Tua. And I I do wonder if Tua has the type of game that we were worrying about. Like he, he has a stinker against Buffalo and then he comes out against Kansas City and has, I would say like a game like he had against Kansas City earlier in the year where they score like 14 points and he looks a little shaky, but it's not a total disaster. And then you have Jordan Love who finishes the season making the playoffs and then kind of has a Daniel Jones-esque run through the playoffs where he wins the first game, looks a little helpless in the second game against a better opponent. Which quarterback are you more comfortable signing? Like you have Tua who has back-to-back years where he put up numbers that got him MVP consideration. And then you have Jordan Love who has like a month of, of really impressive play mixed with a couple months of uneven play mixed with Three years have not even seen this guy play. Oh, it's really hard. It's a really hard question. I, I think I'm more comfortable with love. Yeah. I think love has shown that he can perform in an offense when the structure is not perfect. Yeah in the way that it seems like it needs to be in Miami for for everything to function as they want it to there. But it's not an easy call just because the sample sizes are so different. And And the volume, I don't, I, I think it's probably overrated, but it doesn't mean that it's irrelevant. Yeah. I would also say like, I don't know. I, I I think with Tua, we we've seen like these high moments and we've seen the numbers over the course of the season. But I've seen, I think, I feel like we've seen a lot more failures, and we haven't seen Jordan Love get a, even get a chance to fail on a big stage at this point. So that narrative hasn't been set. So I do think like the conversation, even though it seems ridiculous, that you would even consider a quarterback with like like I said, like five good starts compared to guy a guy with two back to back prolific seasons but man like it just feels like that's the smarter decision if that's how and the arrows are just pointing in such different directions because love has so clearly gotten better and you know as our colleague shield Kapadia loves to say like improvement is not linear it's not been every single game he looks better than the last but overall he just seems to be learning and improving and developing chemistry with those receivers at a rate that's pretty significant. Whereas with Tua, it seems like the more tape and experience that NFL defenses get playing him and also the more hits that he takes, the more hits that the receivers in that offense have to take because of how much they use the middle of the field the less powerful they are as a unit and the less successful he is as a quarterback. So it seems like the arrow there, you know, it's, it's not pointing directly down, right? Like this, no, is, no, this yeah. is a, a 
playoff team. And it wouldn't be crazy if, you know, at one point this season, I felt like they were a, a really compelling Super Bowl contender. It wouldn't be crazy if they went on a run. But it does kind of feel like the arrow there is is pointing a little bit down. Whereas with love, it's very clearly pointing up. So maybe that's recency bias, but I think that's a big part of it. Too, and, and, it yeah, just so like Dolphins fans don't jump down our throats. Like, I don't think it, it's necessarily that Tua needs like per, a perfect environment. I think he needs an environment that's like perfect for him. Whereas Jordan Love, I think, has proven this year that he can he could thrive at, at times in an offense that isn't built for him. This, I don't think this is the offense I would build if I was building an offense for Jordan Love and his skill set. I do think like the Miami offense is the perfect offense for Tua's skill set. It gets, it takes advantage of, of things he does so well, like getting rid of the ball quickly, anticipation and all that stuff. I, I do think that's fair to say because we have seen Tua deal with some adversity. Like his offensive line hasn't always been the best. He has dealt with receiver injuries this year and he still played well. So I just wanted to clear that point up because I do think Dolphins fans would take exception to him like needing perfect, uh, a perfect environment around him. Yeah, I that was that was my word, and it was a bad choice of words in this case. But I I think that's right. Is there some chance that we're like hyping up Jordan Love, hyping up the Packers here, and then the Bears? Yes, are just gonna gonna be like, oh, Joe Barry, don't mind if I do. Yeah, there's a very good chance. I'm not confident that Green Bay is going to win this game. And it's partly because what Matt Everflus has done for that defense. This is the best defense since the Montez Sweat trade. Just across the board in every advanced metric, it's the best defense. And that's why I think think, this is such such a big test. Do you think that there's like something, they're sort of like an analytics darling in that way? And I'm, I'm not arguing that they're not a good defense. They're clearly a very good defense. Do you think the eye test backs that up? I have a hard time saying that this is a better defense than like the Ravens defense. No, yeah, I agree with that. I don't think it's a better. I think it's been playing better. It's had an easier schedule. And I think, but I do think this formula tends to give any offense problems, like being able to rush for and play zone defense behind it. That's like the formula for any good defense. And it's going to give Green Bay a test. And it's going to give Jordan Love a test that, the kind of test that I don't know if he's passed. I would like we've seen him against the blitz. We've seen him kill the blitz, but against these conservative looks, we've seen him have more trouble. So this is a, a chance for him to show something he hasn't shown yet on a big stage. I like it. All right. So I'll give you another one. And I, this is sort of in some ways, I'm being really terrible here because this is almost the antithesis of this exercise. But this is my sort of like playing with house money, but the stakes are positive, but still there category because I want to talk about Texans Colts and the stakes for Houston. I would not say are high in the sense that, you know, they lose this game. They miss the playoffs. No one's losing a job. Overall, you still feel great about the season, excited about the direction of the franchise, excited about D'Amico, excited about Stroud, excited about the young team there. But if they win, they make the playoffs. Could even be the four seed if the Jaguars lose to the Titans, which, I mean, I feel like I've got to count on um, Trevor Lawrence to be able to get it together and, and get that team to beat a Tennessee team that has nothing to play for. And yet I'm just sort of not, not confident in anything that has to do with them at this point. The way that it will buy Shroud and D'Amico just like room to breathe and to relax long term as that team will inevitably go through some form of growing pains. They have a lot of young players. I just think it's so valuable that it, it felt worth pointing out. And there's a version of that for the Colts too. It's a little bit different just because Richardson, who is the future of the team at quarterback, is is not in the game. But there's a version of it for the Colts, too. I think it's more relevant for the Texans. That I do think pays dividends down the line because it's the type of thing that owners pay attention to. It's also, look, it's objectively a high-stakes game just because the winner of that division is so up for grabs that we're not just talking about who, who gets into the wild card. We're talking about 
who's going to be the four seed? And now obviously Jacksonville has the inside track and, and they have, as we talked about in the Doug Peterson conversation, they certainly have a lot on the line there too, because I don't think that them losing to Tennessee is as far outside of the realm of possibility as it feels like it should be. Um, but there's just a lot to gain for Houston, I think. I And I think that this has the potential to change the, the playoffs in the AFC, like not just who's in the field, obviously, but if it's the Texans in that seventh seed, I would be scared as shit, it, whoever I am in the second seed. Yeah. Like, that's a tough game. If I get Gardner Minshew, that's a different story. I'd like, I, I'm very impressed by what Shane Steichen has done. In part because that team is not very impressive on paper. The right. Texans at times have looked like a team that can compete with the best teams in the NFL. We saw them destroy Jacksonville. We saw them push Baltimore in week one. Like that was, it, Baltimore ended up winning that game by multiple scores, but that was not an easy game for Baltimore. And CJ Stroud looked impressive in the second half. More impressive in the second half than he did in the first half against the best defense in the, the NFL at adjusting. That's very impressive. So we, seen, we saw them beat the Bengals with Joe Burrow when people were talking about the Bengals as a possible Super Bowl contender or right. sleeper. This team is good. They have a high ceiling. So I think like this game could lead to an upset. If, and if the Colts win it, right. I don't think they're beating whoever right. the two seed is. They don't have the as much to gain. We have to entertain that conversation, at least. What do you think about the Jags side of things? I think they're going to win the game. Uh, I mean, me too. I just... I wish I felt a little better about it. Yeah, yeah. I, I feel like that's the season, right? That's the slogan for the season. Right. For them. Like, right. yeah, we're going to win the AFC South, but I wish I would have felt better about it. Yeah. All right. That is my five. Have we done all five of yours or are we missing one? I have one more. Okay. And I'll, I'll pick a team because we've talked about the Cardinal side of this game and like what implications are there for their draft pick. The Seattle Seahawks. I think this game has the potential to alter their offseason. And I think if they make the playoffs, we look back at the season differently than they do if they don't make the playoffs, even though I don't think it really says anything about the quality of their performance this year. I think that because it's going to be easy to look at their record and say they regressed after this breakout year we saw in 2022. And I don't think that's true. I think their schedule was just a lot harder. And like when you really drill down into their performance on both sides of the ball, I think they were improved on both sides of the ball in certain ways. And there's, there are encouraging things like nailing your first round pick in Witherspoon. That's a, a big thing. Seeing Geno Smith kind of, uh, carry over his performance, maybe not in the numbers, but like on tape, he looks like a better quarterback than he was a year ago. I think it suggests that Pete Carroll has this team going in the right direction if they make the playoffs. And it's like, oh, we have two back-to-back -back playoff appearances to show for this. Now, if they make the playoffs in year one of this little rebuild and then miss the playoffs with an 8-9 record and, and don't make the playoffs and don't even get a chance to win a playoff game, I think Seattle's thinking about moving on from Pete Carroll. And, the, and possibly Geno Smith. I think that changes the conversation completely in Seattle. Even though I don't think it should, because I think them making the playoffs doesn't really change anything for the direction of this team. It's also, I mean, do you think that Pete and Geno are kind of a, do you think that they're a pair when it comes to oh, that yeah. question? Because the idea that, that Geno is the problem is really strange to me. The problem with the Seahawks team is that their defensive line doesn't tackle or get pressure. And there are some schematic choices that they've made that probably don't emphasize the talent that they do have on the roster. I think I, I agree with you that the results are not all that different from last season. But I think the problem is, yes, it's, it's great to hit on your draft picks, obviously. And, and those players are going to be super helpful long term but it feels like the players have gotten better and the team has gotten worse <laughs> yeah but I don't think that that has much to do with Gino no but I, I don't think like I think if you move on from Carroll you have to move on from the quarterback that he kind of picked to lead them into this new era of the franchise it's kind of hard to separate those two in my opinion just because they're both on the older side for their respective positions and Gino, you don't have this financial commitment anyway. And I think the takeaway will be, oh, he's not good enough to lead us to a Super Bowl. 
even if he is good enough to like lead us to the playoffs. I wouldn't. I I would not be so quick to. I would want to know what the either. plan B is at quarterback. Yeah. Too, just because you can get a lot worse than than the season that Geno Smith has had in Seattle. Those fans love Drew Locke. That's all I'll say. So I think they're more ready to move on from Geno than maybe people outside of the fan base. Right. Well, all right, then. I think that's it, right? We're both five for five. A lot of teams with a lot on the line in, in week 18. We will, of course, be back on Sunday. We'll get to break it all down. In the meantime, Sheila and Ben will have you covered on Extra Point Taken. This has been Dual Threat on the Ringer NFL Show feed. Thank you to Stefan Anderson for producing this episode. Thank you to Kiara Givens for her work on socials. Thank you to Connor Nevins and Arjuna Rambapal for their additional production supervision. And we'll be back on Sunday. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.org slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Kentucky, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Tennessee, and Virginia. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text Next Step to 53342 in Arizona, 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut. Call 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 or visit chaosgamblinghelp.com in Kansas, 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net in West Virginia or call 1-800-522-4700 in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gamblinghelplinema.org or call 800-327-5050 for 24-7 support in Massachusetts or call 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY in New York. This episode is brought to you by Empower. You got money questions like, can I retire early? What are my best savings options? Can I afford to pay for my kid's education? Luckily, Empower has all the answers. With Empower's real-time dashboard and real live conversations, you get clarity on your real-life financial goals. So join 18 million Americans and Empower What's Next. Start today at Empower.com. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. Sponsored by Empower, not an endorsement or a statement of satisfaction by a client. There's a lot that could impress you about the all-new Honda Prologue EV. True, it's got class-leading passenger space and clean, thoughtful design and intuitive technology. But what really sets the Prologue apart from the competition is that it's more than an EV. It's a Honda. Honda, the power of dreams. Visit honda.com slash prologue to learn more.